0: We're back. Great job, boys. Drafting our most intriguing names from the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's just shy of picking the gold medal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't really go wrong with that. And for
0: the, the rest of the show, let's have uh, Justin Bourne give us his who's going to win the gold medal.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, no, let's go to
0: a real expert, Brian Lawton. There you go. You ready to handicap gold, silver, and bronze yet in the Olympics? Lots?
2: I'm ready to go. I have absolutely no idea who's on any of the teams, but I'm ready to (laughs) handicap it.
0: (laughs) I'm kidding.
2: I'm actually excited about – honestly, I'm excited about some of the younger players that we'll get to see on that stage, some of the draft picks in particular – kind of dovetails with what we do there's going to be a lot of young kids that uh, are going to get an incredible opportunity and who knows maybe that's the future you know maybe in the future we'll see a world cup style of event 23 and under uh, kids playing in the olympics and the world cup soccer they'll have their own big best on best tournament
0: it's very it's a it's a one off that we would ever see a, a first pick overall in this scenario. Uh, typically, the NHL teams when they're not involved, uh, really, whether it's World Juniors or not, it it just doesn't matter. It's what's in it for me, and there's never ever upside letting your top players go.
2: Yeah, no, that it's you know it's really interesting. I mean, obviously. The Olympics are super important to players. We've heard that from them. They've spoken loudly about it. They wanted to go. They want to be there. But there's no doubt it loses the Olympics I'm speaking about. It loses a lot of momentum when they're on the other side of the world. And it seems so far away. And the events are not taking place in prime time. Uh, you don't hear that a lot. But that is definite. it's, a, it's different to have an Olympics in Salt Lake In PN Chong or Beijing or anywhere else where the time zone is just so far off.
1: Uh, Over the years, how would player agents feel about their guys going to this sort of event? Like if you have an NHL guy, is it viewed as a good thing for guys to go or is it like, ah, this guy could get hurt and he's not going to get paid. What are we doing?
2: Um, No, you're always supporting the players and, You know, John Tavares got injured, obviously. So you you are covered to get paid if you get injured. But, you know, you are potentially, if you're an expiring contract or something like that, and we hear this every year with just the World Championships, players don't want to go because they don't want to risk injury because they've got a new contract negotiation coming up. That's real, and that's relevant. But, um, you know, for me, I skipped the Olympics When I was younger, and I've always regretted it. So I get when players say they want to go. It wasn't what it is today. When I was going to play in the Olympics, that would have been 1984. But um, there is something, and and Canadians get it really well, in my opinion. They understand the value of playing for their country. We see it every year in the World Juniors and how much it matters. The U.S. is starting to come along in that area. Uh, The World Championships is still a challenge For a lot of American players, though, and and USA Hockey's worked hard to change that, and they're getting there. But it hasn't caught up to what it means to players in Europe, that's for sure.
0: Lots, we've got uh, the Anaheim Ducks uh, in town uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow night. Uh, Anaheim's an intriguing story here uh, on what was perceived as a, a throwaway season has now turned into a legitimate shot at a playoffs. Uh, We understand that there's been a a search committee that included the likes of uh, Paul Correa and Scott Niedemeyer. My understanding is they will have someone in place uh, before the trade deadline. Uh, What are you hearing on that position? And obviously with their young stars, it's, it's a, it's an organization many would love to to get their hands on.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. They've got a lot of younger players that are, that are coming. Um, This year, Dallas Eakins has done an excellent job with that club, and it surprised a lot of people. Last year was a really down year. It's been three years that they've been out of the playoffs. They had gone for six years straight. They had kind of turned into a model organization, one that perennially was competing for the Cup, uh, couldn't quite get back to that pinnacle that Nita Meyer and Pronger and Travis Moen and many others led them to. But um, anybody that gets a chance, you know, and they obviously have started with the three guys that they have internally. They were the first guys interviewed. Now they're opening it up to outside candidates. And I think it's very prudent to answer your question to have somebody in place before the deadline, because it's such a, such an important or critical deadline for the Ducks. They have to figure out what direction they go in. People don't understand uh, you can write blueprints and game plans and things like that for an organization, but this isn't paint by numbers. It's a lot of reading the tea leaves. It's a lot of figuring out where, you know, their unrestricted free agents are at. Is some of these guys going to be back? Is Hampus Lindholm going to be back? Is Josh Manson going to be re-signed? You have to figure a guy like Ryan Getzlaff, who's been a, you know, really a, a hallmark player for them, a staple, is going to be back, especially with the year he's had. But there's a lot of critical decisions that need to be made. And right now is the right time, in my opinion, for the Ducks to insert somebody in that could make those decisions and can put a plan in place that's going to make sense. But this year definitely uh, has been a very pleasant surprise for them.
1: Lots. Of you've got experience going from uh, being a player agent uh, to being a manager in the NHL. Uh, Emily Castongue was just hired by the Vancouver Canucks, and she's been an agent for uh, roughly ten years prior to making this transition. What are some of the things that she would be experiencing and having to do to make that tra- uh, career transition?
2: Well, I think for Emily, with her legal background and and what she's been doing in the assistant general manager role, I think it's a really great next step for her. Um, I actually texted with her yesterday just to congratulate her. I think she's a fantastic human being. And when I read the news, I was super excited for her. Uh, I worked with her, oh, Lafreniere's year, just in interviewing him. I was doing an interview series for NHL Network. Obviously, uh, Lafreniere was a guy we wanted to speak to, and she was just a delight to work with, very professional, uh, on top of things, super organized. All the skills that an assistant general manager in today's league is going to need to have, I think she possesses them. I think it's a very progressive hire for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, The only oddity I would say there is it seems a little odd to me that they make that hire right now, not because they don't need the help or anything like that, but because, you know, they're also in the process of looking for a new general manager. Jimmy Rutherford, of course, uh, is running the show now and is going to operate as the president, but we don't know who that GM is going to be. And the relationship is critical between your general manager and your assistant general managers. Uh, but all in all, I think it's an excellent hire for the Canucks, and I expect her to do very well. To lean on the skills she's learned over the past 10 years, uh, her experience in the business, and to be able to apply that in a very positive manner for the
0: Canucks. Where do we, where where we, have we seen that in the past that you would hire an assistant general manager before your general manager, like? To me, that's like announcing an assistant coach before your head coach. If you're a general manager right now, wouldn't you want to have been part of that process? To uh, is that, that relationship between general manager and assistant general manager has to be one of closeness and trust and, and all of that. It's really rare. Yeah, th- no, there's
2: no doubt about that. I mean, obviously when new general managers are hired, they're often working with new assisted GMs, but they're generally have been in place for some amount of time. They're not hired in that interim when you're searching for a new GM. So that definitely is unique or different. Um, But I think it speaks to some changes that you're seeing going on in some hockey operations departments. Jimmy Rutherford is going to essentially train, teach, mentor, whoever becomes the general manager he's going to handpick that person he's going to work very closely with them probably do quite a bit of the heavy lifting early on and eventually transition things over so i could look at the situation in vancouver and say that the hire is more representative of how that department's going to be built starting off and that will transition in time um, and I, I could easily see that it's not unlike Montreal and you and I have talked about this Kipper, you know, Jeff Gordon brings Kent Hughes in and Kent is the general manager. Kent is going to do a lot of the front work. He's going to speak with the media. Um, but you have to figure that Jeff is going to use his experience and really be a dominating figure in that hockey operations department.
0: Emily had a zoom call yesterday and she spoke of, of high aspirations. Um, and. It was pretty crystal clear by her comments that, uh, and and I'll quote her. I'll I'll, I'll start with this for now. <laughs> doesn't doesn't yeah. sound like she wants to be a general an assistant general manager for very long. Lots. If if you're a new GM in waiting, would would something like that maybe make you a little nervous? <laughs> um,
2: it it wouldn't make me nervous. To be honest with you, Kipper, it, it's uh, it is what it is. Uh, You know, the takeaway from all this, first of all, I have a daughter that's 17. Uh, I interviewed uh, Haley Wickenheiser the other day, and she said something that I thought was really important, and that is that she grew up in a household where the world was wide open to her as a little girl. She wanted to play for the Edmonton Oilers, actually, is what she said. And the amount of things she's been able to accomplish, the heights she's been able to reach, they've been incredible. And now we're seeing that open up for a lot more women. I happen to be a part owner in a tech company. My wife is the rest of that part owner, (laughs) along with some investors. But uh, women, to me, honestly, have been very underutilized, certainly over my lifetime. And it's great to see them getting opportunities. Um, I think that's only going to continue to improve in the future. And it's great to be open-minded, for women to want to strive for things that haven't been open to them in the past. And I I love it, quite frankly. Uh, I'm all about competition, and uh, I I think it's great. I really, truly do, Kipper. And I, I can tell you for a fact that I've been telling my daughter since she was four years old that one day she'll grow up and be the president in the United States. And she used to laugh at me and say, I don't want to be the president, though. And I would say, that's okay. We're just trying to teach you that the world is going to be open, and now it really truly is open for anybody to achieve anything.
0: I'll be the first to admit they're way smarter than us.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) 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 There you have uh... it.
1: Yeah, one of the quotes I read in the wake of that news was uh, Emily talking to one of her players and being upset that she had to sever that tie. And the players saying, and of course, like, this is a great opportunity. I totally get it. You know, we were talking about those relationships between players and agents uh, after learning that uh, Nazim Kadri uh, switched agents ahead of an upcoming huge payday here. How does that work? Uh, behind the scenes? How would that feel for the agent he left? Well, you know What happens in these situations behind the scenes?
2: Well, it's always really tough for the agent that you know was working with um, Kadri, as you can imagine. Um, generally, there are some different parameters that dictate how these relationships go. For instance, if Kadri had been negotiating, which he's Obviously, uh, it's his option to do with the team that owns his rights, the Colorado Avalanche, and some offers had been exchanged, then the agent that negotiated that would be entitled to some type of compensation. Really, all of whatever the offers were, minus 10%. So, um, it's interesting whenever a guy changes, every single situation is different. I know I had a chance. Oh, boy, back when Suter and Parisi were uh, changing agents at the time, and Zach did, and and, uh, Ryan Suter ended up not. And and I got a call from, like, a family friend that said, hey, would you do this? And I said, absolutely not. I would not do that. I'm friends with Neil Sheehy. Uh, I didn't like it. I wasn't even an agent at that time, so I don't know why they called me. Um, but it's something that I've never been a fan of and I've been in the middle of it as an agent and I've been in the middle of it as a GM when I was in Tampa where one agent was calling me and basically wanted me to do something that hadn't happened so they could get paid. And I absolutely would not do that. So I I understand I'm very empathetic uh, for all parties involved in that, but especially for the guys that maybe won't be continuing on with a client.
0: Just, uh, lots and and I know you started an agency with Octagon um, and you know I've got a lot of friends uh, a lot of people I respect in in the agency business um, some not so much but this has been around for a long time and unfortunately and sometimes fortunately I I don't know which one it is but you know generally speaking it is a cutthroat business And a lot of guys sometimes unfairly get accused of poaching or stealing clients. Um, and sometimes it's justified. Sometimes it's not, but ultimately the one that has to set the table is the client. Correct.
2: It's always their call, you know, and, and that is the ugly side of being an agent. Um, it's certainly a side that uh, I haven't missed one bit since I left that business back in 2008. So, um, you know, it's the realities of it. There, there's When I became an agent originally back in like 1995-ish, uh, the competition was much different. The market was much different. Players weren't making the amount of money they're making now. Therefore, there wasn't as many people in the business. And I felt like... It was a much more honorable business at that time. It has only progressed to get worse in terms of poaching players and in terms of how young players are recruited. I was never an agent, really, when we would ever talk to a player that was pretty much younger than 17. As everyone knows, that is not the case today. Um, That's not the reason why I got out of the business, but I certainly was not happy with the direction it was going in at that time.
1: Yeah, I always thought it was hilarious when I was in college that people had family advisors, as they were called. Uh, it's a, a different – there different things at different levels, I guess. Um, We'll, we'll take it on the ice for you a little bit. Well, one thing we were chit-chatting about was the Philadelphia Flyers. They have lost 11 hockey games in a row now and brought in John Torchetti uh, to be an assistant coach along with Mike Yo. What are your thoughts on uh, what's going on in Philly? How do they pull themselves out of this tailspin? They were supposed to be good this year.
2: They were. There was a lot of work that went into reshaping and remodeling their team and, you know, Sometimes it just happens it doesn't work. It seems like none of the moves have paid off. It's been a tumultuous year for the Flyers. Um, When you're repeatedly having press conferences, it's not good for you as an organization during the year. And everybody knows there's going to be another one tomorrow. I like John Torchetti personally. I think I've worked with John at the network. He's a terrific human being. He'll do a great job with the young players. He really cares about people. Uh, And players can feel that and they trust him and he'll be very helpful. But in terms of the Flyers, um, you know, Chuck, uh, unfortunately, when it's not going well, it's hard to change a hockey club in the salary cap era when there's a very flat cap. That's just the reality of it. It's like trying to turn the Titanic. It takes a while. And the Flyers are finding that out. They're going to have to hang in there. Chuck's going to have to navigate this trade deadline, figure out the UFA period, and see what changes or retooling they can come up with on the fly. They should have been better than they were this year. They had some bad luck, obviously, with Ryan Ellis. They had some bad luck last year uh, with Matt Nisket in retiring. Um, they just have not been able to get it together. It happens. Everybody else is trying their best as well but that's a proud organization that is not going through a great moment right now.
0: Can Chuck Fletcher turn Claude Giroux into a first rounder holding on to 50% of his salary? It's going to
2: be tough with the flat cap, but yes, I believe he can come up with that in the right situation. Obviously the key is what you said at the end of that. You're going to have to retain 50% of it to try to get value out of it. And why wouldn't the flyers do that? Um, I don't know why they wouldn't consider it with other players. It's just a matter of not maxing out on your three retained salaries. You never mind doing it with players that are in the last year of their contract, though. So, yes, I absolutely think uh, that's a possibility. There's a lot of possibilities there. That's what the GM's getting paid for. He's got to plot the course now. It's not easy when you're under duress. Um, you know, we heard Bobby Clark speaking out about Ron Hextall not really sure what the point of that was at this time, but you know, when things don't go well, these are not fun jobs. When they go well, they're the greatest jobs in the world.
0: That's why you're paid the big bucks. Lots.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Kipper.
0: All right. Well, listen, always appreciate your time on our show, pal.
2: My pleasure guys. Thanks.
1: Ryan
0: Lawton. Former player, agent, general manager. NHL Network analyst. So he was a founder
1: of Octagon.
0: Yes, I probably paid okay, huh? <laughs> I think he's doing what he wants to do, just to have fun. I think it's safe okay. to say.
1: <laughs> I was just saying, I've heard of the agency. It uh, it does okay.
0: It does okay. Uh, those yeah. are interesting comments uh, from an agent's uh, former agent's perspective, as well. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. Back with Jason York, former NHLer and current analyst on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Flames back on track in that Pacific division. We'll get into that more when we come back on Real Kipper and Bourne. We're back at Kip Reels, Justin Bourne. As we named uh, Team Canada officially today. I was thinking to myself, Jason York could have played on that team. Like one first pass out of his zone, and get the hell off the ice. You you could still do that. Nope. Did we? Did I scare Jason York off? I'm
3: here kipper i'm gonna no. stop. I, I, i'm gonna stop you right there i you,
0: you're, you're not buying it I,
3: I could maybe make the pass but let's i don't know if i could get back to the park quick enough to, to, to <laughs> put myself in a position to make that pass oh man thank you though i appreciate that no i uh i wish that was the case man but i uh the wheels just ain't what they used to be i
0: Will you watch? Will you be intrigued? We we did a mini draft uh, today on, on the names that would intrigue us the most. <laughs> this one compared to the last one without NHLers, a little bit more of a, an interest for you. Do you want my
3: politically correct answer? Or do no. you want me to give me my honest answer? Honest,
0: yes, please. Always.
3: I have no interest in watching. And, and <laughs> great. I don't. I don't. And I I just and listen. There's some great stories like. Mason McTavich played with my with my older son Jack in Peterborough and Mason's a local kid here from Ottawa. So I'm really interested to see how he does. I think it's a great opportunity for Mason. He's a young guy with a bright future, and I'm really excited for him. Like there's some good stories with some older guys, Eric Stahl. I used to watch Mark Barbario in Montreal, and there's guys just great opportunities for guys that want to get back in for young guys. Um, but besides the storyline, I'm just I don't know about you, but I if I'm gonna watch something, and not that this isn't gonna be entertaining, I just I like to watch the best. That's just me, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, and that was my next question. What what is it? It's it's because it already hit the high level and you just you, you can't you can't go back. That that is your reasoning.
3: Um listen if I'm gonna watch other hockey besides the NHL, um I'm to watch my kids. <laughs> and, I, I, and I coach a team too. So I coach a junior A team. So I, I, it takes a lot of my time. But it just, it's just, you know, if it's on TV and, uh, and I'm not watching anything else, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll flip it on. But I'm not going to make a point to watch it. And that's, it's not best on best. So it's, it's, that's my honest opinion, guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And then for me, it's a lot of, You know, what are we learning? Like, if it's the best players, you're learning which country has the best players. Or if it's the juniors, it's which has the best players under 20. This is such a weird (laughs) line of which country has the best players who aren't in the (laughs) NHL and are in, you know, it's just a weird mix. So I get that idea.
3: It it is. It is.
1: So we'll focus on the NHL for your purposes. And our purposes, too, quite frankly, aside from Sammy, who's very fired up about it. Um I want to ask you about the Pacific Division and what the, the, the heck is going on there. Edmonton dropping like a stone. The Flames uh, bounced back with a big win over the Blues last night. And the Ducks are still in second. Who do you like in the Pacific that isn't named Vegas?
3: Oh, man. The Ducks are an interesting team, aren't they, guys? You look at what Dallas Deacons has done mm-hmm. there. They've got a lot of young, talented guys. And they've got a player in the most important position in Gibson, who I, I think is one of the best in the game. Um, are they mature enough? Are they, re- are they ready to win? I, I, I don't know. I think this year guys is, is going to be an interesting year. I, I think you get to the playoffs and I do believe it's, it, I think anybody can win this year with everything that's going on with COVID. Um, but uh, the ducks interest me. I don't know if they're had the experience, but I, I like that team a lot. I like their defense. I like how they move the puck. I mentioned the goaltending. They got some talented guys up front as well. So that's a team I kind of got my eye on. Um, I like what Dallas is doing there. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned Vegas. Like they're ready to win right now. They, uh, you look at their, their blue line, I think Petrangelo is arguably one of the, the best defensemen in the game. Uh, Theodore's back there as well. Um, but yeah, like if I can entertain and watching the game, and I'm rooting for the Ducks. I'm a former Duck too, guys. A two-time former Duck, so always got to go for my uh, alumni teams. <laughs> well, we didn't,
0: Yorkie. We we really didn't see the the hard push from all the California teams, San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, as you just mentioned, and it's really starting to put a wrench into. I think. Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada's uh, spring lineup with <laughs> Winnipeg and Edmonton and Vancouver on the outside looking in. Vancouver or uh, Calgary with an impressive win as well here, yep. but you don't see those California teams sliding anytime soon. This is going to be a dogfight for a wild card spot in, in the West.
3: Yeah, it is, Skipper, but I think last time I was on with you guys, I mentioned I really like the Flames. i I've done a lot of their games, uh, did a lot of their intermissions with Ryan Leslie. Um, I I think when it's all said and done, Calgary's going to be there. I I, I think they play the right way. They're hard to play against. They're they're responsible defensively. Goodrill's having a good year. Matthew Kachuk just had the five points last night. Uh, Goudreau's starting to heat up. He's in a contract year. they got the goaltending. I like their blue line. I think if you're only a one Canadian team, it's going to make, maybe make some noise. I think it's Calgary. I, I think they're going to be there. I, there's too many good things. And I think Sutter's going to push the right buttons. He's demanding. He's hard, but I, I, I think that group really respects him. He's won before as a coach. So I, I, I think that's the one Canadian hope. If, if you're looking in the Pacific and geez, I don't know if Emerson's going to be able to turn it around. Like I'm, I'm waiting this to, for the next stone to drop there. And it's going to be a firing or a big move. Uh, yeah. Is Mike Babcock gonna go back and coach? Like yeah. I always wonder I always wonder about that with the history with Kenny Holland.
0: Um I hear that uh, I'm not sure uh uh Connor's the biggest fan of yeah, Babcock.
3: Of, 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 of Babs coming in and maybe yes. uh, yeah, I just I always wonder about that, don't you? Just because you know Babs and Kenny, they won in Detroit, and you got to think he's picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, I can go in there and fix us. I'm your man." Like I, I like you know, I just I wonder about that. But hey, I, I'm with you. If I'm Connor, I don't know if I want him coming in there and and uh, and doing his thing.
1: Hey, just looking about the the Toronto Maple Leaf situation. We were talking earlier in the show about D-men and the, their need for one. How much value do you see in uh, a traditional defenseman who just makes that good first pass and and plays a physical game? Like we talk about the Leafs needing that, but is the game different now? Is is that really what they need, or do you think uh, you know it would be wise to find more of the same skill and type of play that they have in their lineup already?
3: Yeah, I think there's always a need for that morning and, and, and you guys are both forwards like how nice is it when you know you have a defenseman that goes back there and puts it right on your tape every time like that's a pretty good feeling if you're a forward versus he's jamming it up your butt up the birds and you're, you're trying to pick pucks off the glass i i think it's essential like every since i started coaching three four years ago you know when you're running a drill in practice it's just so nice to have that guy that just goes back and makes the pass every single time you know The guy that knows how to put it off the boards just perfectly to his partner, those little understated things, uh, you don't notice those guys. And the reason you don't notice them is because they usually don't screw up either, and and, and they make your team better. So I think you can always use guys like that. Why why do teams at the deadline always seem to pick up a veteran defenseman or a guy that just plays that way? Like You look at a guy like Dylan DeMello in, in Winnipeg, like guys like that, they're on their team, they're like a two, three, maybe a four. But you go to a real good team, and, and all of a sudden, you're a five, six. But you're a real good five, six. I think Toronto could absolutely, absolutely use a guy like that. So could, so too could every single team that has aspirations to win a Stanley Cup. Those guys, to me, are invaluable when you're trying to win in the
0: playoffs. Speaking of defense, you're the perfect guy uh, to get into this with uh, Flyers and the Islanders. Tonight, Keith Yandel will set the record at 965 consecutive games played. It's it's incredible that he is in this position. But for the life of me, I can't get excited about this.
3: <laughs> I know it's not true. I actually read something. I was on Twitter and somebody uh, it was a little bit of a shot they threw at Yandel. They're talking about the. The game's played. I don't want to take credit for this, but it was pretty funny. They said, for a guy that's played this many games in a row, you look at his playoff games, and there's not there's not a lot. He's played over a 1,000 games. I think he's played 58 playoff games. So you don't have to play all those hard games. All of a sudden, the miles aren't that hard on the body. Um, but he's had a nice career. Like, you look at what he's done, guys. He skates well. He's put up some points. I mean, he's funny as hell. Like, you listen to some of – some of his one-liners he's i I hear he's a great teammate like i don't personally know him but great in the room looked like his career was going to end in florida has found new life in philadelphia just one of those guys that just not a real exciting story but hey it's it's i don't know like all i know is there's been nights where
0: i had no chance of playing to
3: play this many games in a row i'm with you it's
0: crazy i'm with you
3: it's crazy. i'm with you
0: Completely, but then I look at the, the top five on this list Jarvis, that, yeah, y- Yendil, Phil Kessel, Gary Unger, and Patrick Marlowe. And my first question to myself is how many consecutive games played where you threw a body check? <laughs> what, what, what's the number there?
3: Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's great. Like, I don't know had a good stick instead of throwing my it hands on a certain <laughs> Well, the game has changed now. Like, the game's not as physical anymore. You're not taking as many bumps. Like, how about, nobody ever talks about this in the new rinks now. Like, the new springboard board system and the, every rink has the glass with the partitions. Like, have you guys been, like, on a, an NHL rink lately? Like, I was on the Senators rink a couple years ago. And I just, I was like, wow, look at these boards. Like, you go into these boards and it's like a wrestling rink. Like you're not getting hurt versus you go into the corner when you had all those rinks with the seamless glass. And when you got hit, it friggin' hurt. Like it hurt. But now like, I can see why guys can maybe play a little longer. You go in the corner, bounce off, doesn't hurt that much. And you know, you don't have the super heavyweights out there. No fear of having to really fight anybody. Like, I don't want to be that old guy that's saying the game's not tough anymore, but it really isn't as tough as it used to be. Like when you're, it's called of state, Spade here. It's not.
1: No, and but I mean, it, you're right, Kipper. It doesn't. It's not helped by like the list having like the Sedin's and Kessel and, and those guys <laughs> I, on the list. It's I not. Didn't but... Kessel,
3: I didn't know Kessel was on
1: there, buddy. I was oh, yeah. right behind I, him. I, I,
3: I'll tell you a funny. I'll tell you guys a funny Kessel story real quick. My my first year in Boston, uh, we had to do a fat test. And you know the fat test when they get the calipers out. <laughs> and yeah. and, and, you know, and most, guys, most guys are around, I don't know, if you're good, you're around 10, 9. So it, it Kess and Mark Savardo, I won't well, be asking this, because he laughs player it all the time. Savvy's a funny guy, doing a great job with the Windsor Spitfires by the way. So Savvy and Kessel are getting the fat test, and both of them, you know they're they're not well, they're in a shape, but they they might have the you know, they might have they have a pretty good barrel going. So they're doing the fat test, and the two of them sneak into a room and try and get a private fat test, so nobody can see what's going on. So we <laughs>
0: so we, <laughs> we pick the
3: lock, we we, we the lock with a coat hanger, bust in, see them with the shirt <laughs> off. we get the, they're getting their fat test done, and know, uh, uh, it wasn't. It was the tests. We saw the scores. They were not. Oh, I'd say they were closer to twenty than they're closer to ten percent.
1: <laughs> That's so high. Even like nine, ten. I mean, I remember a lot of guys playing at six and seven. That's wild.
3: Well, Kev, remember I, I think I was with you guys a, a month ago, and I brought up Sean Burr's name. And yes. man, every time I every time I think a great story, I think of Sean Burr. Um, he used to say, and back when I was in Detroit, and I was only there for a couple of years, he used to call himself a fat guy, and he says, listen, I need this extra fat because it helps me from not getting hurt. And he did. He never got hurt. Like, it was amazing. Like, he just kind of rolled with the hits. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that kind of embraced his chubbiness. And <laughs> he was just, uh, man, what a guy he was. Yeah. Hey,
0: maybe <laughs> – Maybe we should change it from an iron streak to like an aluminum streak, or you know just, <laughs> you know, just maybe pick a different element
1: i would I would like to see if there's a get my analytics involved and see if there's a tie between body fat and games played. Maybe there is something to the durability, Dan, well, what was when they did all your guys' measurements and testing and stuff like Man, I remember some of it was so unofficial. We had guys strapping weights, <laughs> taping weights to the inside of their thighs and chugging a gallon of water trying to get the weight number up there. You know, the, yeah. the lighter guys standing on their heels. Was there an evolution of how they measured you guys and all that at the start of the season over your career?
3: I I, I don't really think. Like the NHL, most of the teams I played on, you had a daily weight in chart. If you were an older guy, they wouldn't really monitor it that much. Um, but Yeah, you weighed in, you weighed out. It was more or less at the draft or when you're playing junior. I remember when I was playing junior, they they would come around and that's when guys would be throwing weights in and doing stuff like that and trying to heighten, putting some lifts in their shoes. But I never really played on a team that was really too concerned. You know, if you had the odd guy that was overweight, the trainer just threw him on the bike and that was it. But, you know, for the most part, it just, it wasn't that big of a deal.
0: Yeah, it, uh, And if guys needed to drop weight, they do it uh, the goofy way. They put a garbage bag over them and uh, and and go ride the bike in the sauna. Like that's how. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. (laughs) Remember that, that, Yorkie. I remember actually one
3: one guy I played with in Anaheim, Dave Carper, great great guy, and uh, he he was uh, not that he was out of shape. He was just a bigger guy. He told me when he was playing, and ended up getting traded to the Ranger. If I played them in the Ducks and. Shayther made all the guys line up and I think he made them all line up in the dressing room and talking about body shaming. He looked at all the guys, and he said, Carpa, get your ass
2: on the bike right now. <laughs> he made them get <laughs> on the
3: bike. Like you did a line you made all the boys line up and he didn't like how Carpa looked and he's just it's just how he is. He threw him right on the bike, right away. It's like, Oh my god, that stuff doesn't happen anymore.
0: And then and then everybody would start screaming are we trying to exactly. win a stanley cup with a tour to france for christ's sakes exactly
1: yeah no it's it, it has changed but like that legitimately even when i played that was a thing just guys getting looked at you just look a little slovenly in the room the coach throw you on the bike we had uh-huh. potato chip club it was just you know it's just a shame really had the potato chip label to it so uh, i think yeah. i think the standards have changed a little bit over the years. Yeah, you know,
0: we uh, we watched uh, the Rangers go at it with LA last night, and a little Byfield Lafreniere uh, in the shootout. Uh, I, I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but uh, uh, if you did, your thoughts, and then your overall thoughts on the New York Rangers, because they seem to be one of those teams where we're like, when does Cinderella's shoe fall off here? Yeah,
3: like I, it's funny. Like I, I look at the standings almost every day and i keep looking at it, and i keep i keep waiting for the New York rangers to fall off because i when the season started i didn't really consider them a top team but i don't see it like uh, they got some good pieces there um uh, am i a believer they're going to get it done in the playoffs uh, not too sure about that but i'm with you they, they got a lot of young talent uh the goaltending's been good with Strasikin. um how about that one they yeah, had to pronounce when you're doing a game but they're uh, you know, they're a team that's. Uh, I think they've they built their team correctly. Uh, Panarin is a world-class player. The Job's getting it done. Um, yeah, they're, they're a team to me that's. Uh, I did. I didn't see it coming, but they're, they're definitely not falling off.
1: Well, another team we'll get your thoughts on before we let you go is uh, you know, the Maple Leafs, since they're the theme of the show. They're putting Willie Nylander on the third line with Kerfoot and Kampf, not doing the whole loading up the top two lines. Uh, just in general, how do you feel about the idea of loading up top lines, you know, the Pasternak, Marchand, Bergeron, versus having that spread out? I know it's something that Edmonton has to deal with on a consistent basis too. Well, I think if you want to win in
3: the playoffs you look at most teams that win the Stanley Cup, they usually have a very good third line. Your, your third line guys are the guys that get it done in the playoffs. So I, I, I like it. If, if you can go three lines deep and, and and Willie's had a great season so far for the Leafs, um, why not? Uh, those are the teams that win the, the deepest teams. You, you, you're tougher to shut down. Just look at Edmonton. Like you, you shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl. They're, they're a fairly easy team to beat. We're seeing it right now. So, I, I like the move by sheldon Keith. i think it's smart i think he's looking ahead to the playoffs um and uh you know for, for an islander i i think why not it's it's uh I, I think it's a very smart move and i think it's a it's a it's a it's a four forward move with keep with keith looking ahead
0: yorky we love your brutal honesty on this show don't ever you change like, pal <laughs> hey,
3: well, hey you can only be honest man it's it's all you can be in this business and and, you know, it, it is
0: what it is. Uh, can't let you go without a quick Sens Nation update here.
3: <laughs> what's, what's
0: going on with uh, the, the the Senis?
3: Yeah, you know, i They're playing some better hockey guys. And uh, we talked about them last time on the show. And I think DJ Smith is a really good coach. He's a guy that is a young guy. His players like him. He's hard on them. Um I think they're right where they should be right now. They're, they're playing a little bit better. And no coincidence, they're starting to get some better goaltending. Matt Murray's played better as of late because there were huge question marks with him. Oh a ton boy. of pressure on Murray. Yeah, he... It, think, character. It's character.
0: It was yeah, a character thing too, right?
3: It was. It was. And I think he's answered pretty well. He's just had a tough time with COVID, injuries. If he could get into a rhythm, I think it would be a much fairer judge of where he's at, of just staying healthy and being able to play a bunch of games. Um, but they're getting better goaltending, uh, and, and that's been the key issue with the Ottawa Senators. They weren't getting that at the beginning of the season. I don't care who you are. If your goalies aren't making saves, it's real tough to win. They're getting that right now, which is helping a lot. And I think they're going to be a real good team in a couple of years. It's just going to take time. they got good pieces. I like DJ a lot as a coach, and uh, they just need to build on that back end. After Shabbat, it gets... It gets very what's the word I'm looking for. It gets very thin in a hurry. It, you got Thomas Chabot, and you got the rest of the blue line, and 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 that's coming. Like you look at some of the pieces they've drafted, Borne, Like they've made some nice picks. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Bernard Docker I think is going to be a pretty good player. Um, you know the, the kid they got out of uh, North Dakota. His name's escaping me right now. Um, got him in the draft a couple of years ago, but he, yeah. he's a heck of a player too, right? Uh, it's just going to take time. They're they're in a totally different position than Leafs are right now, but I think DJ is the right guy to to, to guide that young team
1: along.
0: Yorkie, thanks for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Jason York. Take take
1: care, thanks. Thanks, Yorkie.
0: Does he he have something, Sammy and JB, in terms of uh, general population out there that just won't watch these Olympics because of what – Yorkie just said it's if it's not the best, I'll, I'll rather watch my kids.
1: Well, just for me, it's it's define what we're learning here. Like, you have your NHL team and you're like, all right, I believe that my GM has constructed the best team and I have the best coach and, you know, you're learning the best NHL team. Or there's the best players or there's the best of this age group. or the... what are What is this that we're learning? This is the best random assortment of people once you eliminate the best players from Earth at a random cutoff? I don't care. I don't care about it. That's all.
0: <laughs> Sammy. I,
4: I have to say I've been getting – As a guy who enjoyed 2018, and I took a lot of heat for that, a lot of people (laughs) in my life made fun of me deeply for caring about this. I will say that the opposite sentiment towards this team has been thrown around a lot to me in the the recent weeks. You know, when the name of Owen Power has been um, thrown around, Eric Stahl, Mason McTavish, all the names that we kind of listed off. I think there is more of an interest in this team than the last one. Def. But it's not it's not even close in the same stratosphere as it would be if NHLers were going. Like we can't sit here and try to lie to ourselves and saying it's close to as good or as close to as meaningful. It's obviously not. But I will say that there has definitely been more of a interest from my friends who I talk hockey with than there was in twenty eighteen.
0: All right, Yes. convincing win by the Flames last night. We touched on it briefly uh, with Jason York, uh, but when we talk about uh, one of the better lines right now, Kachuk, Goudreau, and Lindholm, 10 points last night. But, you know, outside of Kachuk's five assists, Johnny Hockey, man, he looked good. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm just wondering now that we're in the back half of the season, pending UFA... Boys, this is starting to feel to me like he may end up being another John Tavares.
1: So you think they'll Long keep him, Island him uh, before the deadline? Then
0: is I don't say. know. That's a that's that's a tough call. But I just I, I don't see them moving him if if they can make a little bit of noise in what again Jason York said something that may be up for grabs.
1: If the Flames were in the Eastern Conference I would say trade Johnny Goodrow, what are you mental like you guys are not getting through all those great teams and and winning a Stanley Cup this year it's not impossible for me to see them finding a way through the West, particularly their own division where there's really only Vegas and Vegas has always sort of seemed you know, an offensive injury or two away from being gettable and we've seen that play out in the postseason the past few years, so you know, they are in it. The Flames are one of the teams with a chance of the handful of teams you think you can get through the West. So I think you, you kind of have to keep, a, keep them as long as you think you have a shot, as naive and long as it may
4: be. That's why it's impossible to evaluate. If I'm the GM of the, of the Flames, if I'm looking at it, what you just laid out there is the reason that they make the big bucks. Like Kipper says, you know, you look at, I feel like they could be either in the Western Conference Final or out of the playoffs. Like, it just feels like the type of team. They got a great goalie. They got good offense. They got some good defensemen. They're a pretty good team. They've been scuffling recently. They haven't played a lot of games. But, you know, they get on a cold streak. They're on the outside looking in. Maybe you think about trading them. But if they get on a hot streak, they're back to being one of the elite teams. We talked about them being one of the elite teams for the first two months of the season, right? I I remember coming on here and gushing about them. So I do think that they have it in them. But I agree with you that they are an incredibly hard team to sort of handicap and figure out if you're a general manager because, and I guess that's why they make the big bucks but Johnny Goudreau a hell of an asset listen you could get a hell of a lot for him but I think they're probably in the own rental situation like the lease have been in years past with other guys like you know like with Hyman or Tyson Barry not the same level obviously or Van Riemsdyk or all the, the names go on and on but I think you're just going to eat it with him see as far as you go and then on his merry way he goes to a different team I think
0: Is there just going to be one playoff where he Shows that he is this elite player, and uh, finds a way to get uh, those points and those plays in the high traffic areas in April and May, like he does in December and January.
4: I mean, so if there if there was ever a year to do it, it would be contract year playoffs, right? You would think I, so.
0: I believe he could still get shut down in the playoffs, and still make seven or eight next year from an offer from the flyers or the Boston Bruins. Yeah. It's mm. th- there's Those always two scenarios teammates. for a general manager is, you know, get, just get me in the playoffs. He's a guy that can help me get in the playoffs and that alone will have value. And you just hope there's one year where all the stars align and, and he can be a dominant player like a Patrick Kane has well, been for Chicago in the past.
1: And I think there's a better chance of him being more like Phil Kessel was on Pittsburgh, where you're a complimentary scorer. Mm-hmm. You know, his points per game in the regular season, he's about a point per game, almost exactly. He's 0.63 in the playoffs. Like He's definitely slowed down, um, you know, when put in those situations. So it will be interesting to see. It's just hard to believe there's a scenario where the Flames could improve their stock by moving on from Goodrow. I mean, you've heard his name mentioned as, you know, one of the 10 guys who might be heartworthy so far this season, as much as I, I don't necessarily see it myself. Um, yeah, it's tough to get better this season if you think you have a shot. Markstrom, though. Markstrom, if he gets hot, the Flames can be for real.
0: I know the name Babcock has been mentioned a couple times in Edmonton, and... That one's a a stretch. but in with with the amount of heat that's been on lately on on Drycidadal and McDavid, the one thing I will say about M- Mike Babcock, if he ever got into that scenario, he has the ability to alleviate a lot of that pressure because we know how he is, you know, in terms of his co- comments pre and post. and Mike can suck a lot of oxygen out of any dressing room. We know that, but maybe that—that's the one thing that might help a guy like McDavid and Drysidle a little Mm -hmm. bit.
1: Yeah, he's not afraid to get out there and make himself the story. Uh, No doubt about that. the The thing about Connor, you know, you mentioned that you know you're not sure that Connor loves Babs, but I wonder if they've had that conversation. And I wonder if you've ever had it with a superstar and you've said, what do you think of this one coach? If you haven't already put it in your head that you're maybe moving on. Like already, if you've talked to him about that, does that guy think, and it's only a matter of time to, to, till he's got a new coach. So why, you know, you're just kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. Do you think McDavid is there? <sighs> hmm.
0: I, I, I think he, there's, there's a lot of questions he's constantly asking himself.
1: Yeah, <laughs> about I just mean, everything generally.
0: I think I, I I think it's that that was a huge win. It was a huge goal by Drysidle on what the goal. weekend, like a world class goal.
1: The delay on Tanov who can defend, was unbelievable.
0: That's not too often you're going to beat Tanov clean like that, guys. Yeah, in that and, scenario. But again, it it just it shows. How Edmonton needs these incredible individual efforts out of these two guys to to come close to being a team that can manage expectations. It's just it's 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 too hard day yeah, to those, day.
1: those guys spot you ten wins every year, but you still got to build uh,
4: build everything else around well, them. No doubt about that. McDavid has gone. Was he gone nine games at home without a without a goal? uh, Let me me check the last time Austin Matthews did that. Oh, uh, never. I just checked my stats. uh, The stat department here, Uh, it's never happened. And it never will. How's that sound?
1: Uh, Connor's no shooter like Austin, though. Austin, that's crazy. It is.
4: I mean, he's supposed to be the best player in the world in nine straight games. That's crazy. It's just hard
0: to believe. Uh, Byfield by and uh, Lafreniere uh, in the shootout, oh, go, yeah. guys. I mentioned it briefly, but Loved uh, it. nice to see the future top picks go at it like that, even in that goofy shootout.
1: So Lafreniere scores and then does the number one sign by the, the Kings bench. Do you think he was, was that for Byfield or is that he pointing it at his own team? You know, like, let's go, here we go, your
4: team. What do you think? think. It came out of his hand. Like, he had his fist clenched, and as he got to, not to his own bench, was wheeling past the King's bench, he threw that finger out pretty hard. It looked like a one to me. And I hope to <laughs> God it was. I hope it was. I, if it were more upright, I'd say definitive
1: one. There It was an angled one. It was an angled one, which might be a point. I don't know. Like, he didn't point to
4: the, he didn't turn to the bench and go, why, like, start showing it, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. I. I, I
0: I had a little bit of the sense that it's, uh, I was the first pick.
4: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. A- and if not, it was a, I meant it as a, I was the first pick, but I wanted to have an out for, for it. So I didn't do it definitive. Well, I'm number one. I Home
0: think finger. a lot of, a lot of talk in LA about Jacob Chikrin and what it would take for the LA Kings to get him. Uh, the LA Kings are deep with prospects and oh, yeah. I do I don't know in terms of where they they are with Byfield, with his development, if they're a little disappointed or not. But I I think even that shootout, that skill, the hands, the move shows. Yeah. And he just might be one of those guys. He was just a little later in development. But remember where we were with Dry Saddle guys. Do you remember that with Dreisaitl first, his first taste in the national hockey league? And it was like mm-hmm. eyes rolling. Who is this guy? He gets sent down. Even when he signed for
1: eight five, I was like, I don't know, boy, I don't know about that number. That's uh, the best contract in the league. Yeah. It's
0: almost as if Byfield still hasn't matured into his body yet too. Sometimes it looks like it, it is a little awkward, little off. He, he, I think it's just still a, a physical thing with him. He's still got to grow into his body.
4: Can, like that. can I say go that ahead. with with him? Uh, this is completely anecdotal and very non. You cannot back this up with numbers, but to me, watching him play. Got, he's got an it factor of some kind to him. The size, wearing 55, maybe those LA jerseys, the bucket, the shimmery bucket. That goal he scored in the shootout, the crossbody wrister into the top corner on Sturkin. There's something about that guy that I think really has a true star potential. And it's nice for those two guys. They haven't really had any defining moments so far in the NHL, right? Like that that draft class, those top two guys haven't really been talked about at all as elite guys. So for them to go head-to-head like this, I feel like it's the first kind of moment for them to sort of ha- mm-hmm. to have this. And i, I got to tell you, boys, I, I think Byfield's going to be a st- I know this is a really hot take coming from me, second overall pick in the NHL, high pedigree guy played for Canada. But I think he's going to be a stud once he kind of grows into his body, skating gets a little stronger. I, I love Byfield.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't watched him uh, enough to refute you or to, to you know say I agree. Perfect. But I do know, I do know that it's pretty awesome that the it factor was based on a shiny helmet, the number fifty-five, and he being just, big. He, <laughs> he looks good out there. He looks good
4: out there. I watched a lot of that game last night. He, like I, mean, he, I think he only played eight or nine minutes, but when he he just looks good on the ice. I I, there's something about that guy. I like him. That matters. That matters. That'll keep That'll you be That'll be a terrible, terrible shiny helmets. I would be a terrible scout. He's got the <laughs> in factor voice. Uh, we'll take him in the 8th round. See, <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore the 8th round.
0: LA they they want to do something so they're they're going to have to give up a, a top prospect. But Sammy, I, I I'm with you. I just uh, it's way too early uh give up uh, or trade uh, a byfield to to yeah. maybe get a, a Jacob Chikrin for me anyways. Is it uh, Yeah, I mean, Turgot's this... name comes up as well.
1: This guy, you know, the Kings right now, boys, they're third in in points percentage in the Pacific Division. Like, it's Vegas, Calgary, L.A. That's the way it's set Uh up right now. You know, were they to make a move or two to to try to get better this year? Like, I don't think they're going to do any damage, but they could be a playoff team this year.
4: And for Kipper's sake, hopefully they – Ovi Watch? Hopefully for Kipper's sake they wear the the silver buckets in the playoffs if they make it because I know Kipper loves those buckets so much.
0: Sammy, give us an OV watch here. One goal away from 30.
4: 16 One goal away from times. 30 for the six. Yeah, that, that's all you need to be. 16 times <laughs> 30 is goals. Insane. That, that is, is a joke. like that's that Mike is, Gartner blows territory. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. How many Isn't NHLers that... have played 16 seasons? Correct.
1: I'm, like, actually Googling that. We <laughs> probably don't have time at the end of the show, but, like, cannot be that many. I don't know. Anyway, to to score 30 in 16 seasons is baffling. He is a baffling human.
0: You think Washington uh, needs to revisit their goaltending situation? Uh, All of a sudden I heard they might have some interest in Fleury, uh, Colorado, uh, Edmonton, of course. Button
1: tough to imagine any contending team has the ability to take on flurry even at half price i guess at half price he's 3.5 that oh yeah honestly and
0: and flurry flurry you'll have to wait for him at the trade deadline just to get that number as as down as possible
4: yeah boy that would not be pretty for for penguins fans there's some guys that would look weird in certain jerseys i think flurry in a caps jersey would be one of the weirdest ones He's gonna, he
0: wanna, just... he's gonna want he's gonna want to take one more crack at winning a cup guys there's no question no in my mind
1: I don't know if he'd do it for Washington he might might be a bridge too far
0: all right guys is it over already
1: it's yes, over man the
0: show just flies our thanks to Tom Rennie good luck to him and the Olympic team Jason York Brian Lawton fun show today guys really appreciate your time. Uh, Justin, I know you're going to be down in New York. Celebration of life for Clark Gillies. All the best to you and your family. Thanks, Kipper. Appreciate it. All right. And I think Gord Stellick, Sammy, if I'm not mistaken, a little electricity the rest of the week.
4: Oh, yeah, baby.
0: All right. If you get a chance, rating and review for us on all podcasts.